Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to another episode of Broadway Nation, the podcast that tells the extraordinary story of how immigrants, Jews, queers, African-Americans, and other outcasts invented the Broadway musical and how they changed America in the process. I'm David Armstrong, and I call this episode The Silver Age of the Broadway Musical, Part 1. Most writers and historians have labeled the entire period from the 1920s through the 1960s as the Golden Age of Broadway, but I find it much more useful to make a distinction between the Golden Age and what I call the Silver Age. In my way of thinking, the Silver Age spans roughly from the end of World War I through to the opening of Rodgers and Hammerstein's Carousel in 1945. Oklahoma certainly inspired the Golden Age, but it was Carousel that made it clear that this new way of making musicals would now be the only way. During this period that I call the Silver Age, more than 300 musical comedies, operettas, and reviews opened on Broadway, and overwhelmingly they were the creation of a second wave of Jewish, Irish, African American, and queer artists, including significant contributions from women. Most of these artists were second-generation children of immigrants, and in a big shift from the previous generation, many of them had attended college. It was during this period that the distinctive form, structure, and sound of the Broadway show tune was established. This era's rich trove of perfectly crafted, wonderfully expressive, endlessly captivating, and incredibly enduring works of art have come to be known as the Great American Songbook. Jazz music also emerged during the same period, but I don't consider jazz music and Broadway music to be exactly the same thing. They are, however, very closely related, completely mixed up with one another, and their roots are the same. And in addition, Broadway music was strongly influenced by jazz, and elements of jazz were incorporated into Broadway show tunes. Conversely, the core repertoire of nearly every leading jazz musician and vocalist has largely consisted of Broadway show tunes. Even so, the intention behind a jazz composition and a Broadway composition is very different. The goal of a jazz composer, much like a classical composer, is to create musical impact, and the lyrics of a pure jazz composition, if there even are any, are second to the music. In contrast, the principal intention of a Broadway songwriter is to tell the story, or enrich the depiction of a character within a story, and the words are always of equal, if not even greater, importance than the music. 
the story of how African-American music and Jewish music merged together to create the distinctive sound of the Broadway show tune is a fascinating one, and I'll go into that in depth in my next episode. What were the shows of the Silver Age like? Well, to answer that question, let's take a look at the three types of musicals that vied for dominance during this era. First, there were the musical comedies. I call it the Silver Age because the hit shows of this period all feature great, classic, timeless songs, but unfortunately, their stories were not crafted in a way that we find compelling today. They didn't have to be. Audience expectations were very different then. The shows were made to be disposable, much like a sitcom, an episode of The Simpsons, or a Saturday Night Live sketch today. And the material could be hit and miss as long as the overall effect was entertaining. Running side by side with the musical comedies were the operettas. Although the plots and stories of these shows were more carefully crafted than the musical comedies, and their scores were more purposely tied to the plot and characters, audiences today are just not very drawn to this style of music. And the books are creaky in their own way, with leading characters that are rather generically romantic and heroic, and comedy sidekicks whose jokes were not very fresh even at the time. Finally, there were the reviews. This was the heyday of the review, and these shows were largely built specifically for the performers who starred in them, and their comedy sketches and routines were usually very topical. To revive these shows today would be much like restaging last week's episode of Saturday Night Live 50 years from now with a different cast. Most of the jokes would be incomprehensible to that future audience because the subject matter would be long forgotten and because writing that had been tailored to specific stars would not sit all that well on other performers. The review format migrated to television in the 1950s, and as a result, it pretty much died on Broadway around the same time, except for composer compendiums. But the structure of the review would heavily influence the structure of the book musicals of the 1970s. The result of all this is that almost none of the hit musicals from the Silver Age, reviews, operettas, or musical comedies, are ever performed today. However, in their day, these shows were wildly entertaining, hilariously funny, and sometimes deeply moving, and they left a tremendous legacy, in addition to the hundreds of enduring songs that came from them, songs that are still very much with us, Many of the innovations, techniques, and content that originated in these shows has been handed down to the musicals of today. That these shows have not retained currency is not really surprising. Most theatrical works throughout history have faded away entirely, and I wonder what songs, books, movies, and shows of today will still be in the mix a hundred years from now. This longevity is what makes something a classic a work of art that endures and retains impact over many years and through changing times, cultures, and values, even if some of their content has become dated and out of sync with contemporary times. The decade of the 1920s really kicks off with a giant hit that had opened the previous year, 1919, Irene. As we discuss in episode two, Irene brought together all the strongest elements and best practices of the first wave of musical comedies. Then in 1921, the sounds and rhythms of the jazz age roared onto Broadway with a sensational shuffle along, as we talked about in episode five. Shuffle Along's immense influence would at first only be seen through individual songs that were incorporated into reviews such as the Ziegfeld Follies, the George White Scandals, and the Earl Carroll Vanities. 
Then September of 1924 began a 12-month period in which the two distinct strains of the musical, operetta and musical comedy, romantic melody and sexy jazz, were vividly and definitively established and solidified. During that year, the smash hits Rosemary, Lady Be Good, The Student Prince, The Garrick Gaieties, and No No Nanette would all make their debuts. One of my time travel fantasies is to be able to journey back to September of 1925 and see all of those shows in one week. Let's look briefly at each of those shows. Rosemary, with music by Rudolf Frimmel and Herbert Stothart, and book and lyrics by Otto Harbach and Oscar Hammerstein II, ran for 557 performances, and it cemented the American style of operetta that had been pioneered by Victor Herbert. The show was set in Canada, part of it in the Canadian Rockies, and it featured a stout-hearted chorus of Canadian Mounties. The biggest hit song was Indian Love Call, which in later decades would be spoofed endlessly, but there was nothing campy or old-fashioned about it at the time. When I'm calling you I will answer you It was the height of drama and romance, with an effect on its audience much like the music of the night in The Phantom of the Opera has on audiences today. The polar opposite of Rosemary was Lady Be Good, which opened two months later. It was the first of 14 musicals by the songwriting team of brothers George and Ira Gershwin. And it was also the show that transformed the brother-sister song and dance team of Fred and Adele Astaire into major Broadway stars. George and Iris' parents were Russian Jewish immigrants, and the brothers grew up on New York's Lower East Side, where the Yiddish Theater District was located, and it greatly influenced them both. Fred and Adele's parents were German-Austrian immigrants, and the duo had been a popular vaudeville act since they were children. The plot of Lady Be Good concerned a vaudeville song and dance team who were so down on their luck that Fred's character feels obligated to marry a wealthy socialite instead of the woman he loves. With the help of various wacky schemes and disguises, his sister saves him from this undesirable fate. There was a lot of interest in the show because earlier that year, 26-year-old George Gershwin had debuted what he called his jazz concerto, Rhapsody in Blue, at Carnegie Hall. And because of this, he'd become an overnight celebrity. Gershwin epitomizes the melding of cultural influences that created the musical sound of Broadway. Lady Be Good's hit song, Fascinating Rhythm, had a new sound that reflected the jagged tempo and modern pulse of New York City during the 1920s. Fascinating rhythm, got me on the go. Fascinating rhythm, I'm on a great bird. A lot of mess you make here, the neighbors wanna know why I'm always 
Garrick Gaieties, which opened that spring, was an irreverent review that spoofed the plays, stars, and theatrical scene of the day, something along the lines of Forbidden Broadway. It was originally intended to be only a two-performance fundraising event put on by the young members of the Theater Guild, sort of like the interns are going to put on a show and help us raise money. However, the audience response was so huge that it was extended into a run of more than 200 performances. The centerpiece of this success were the songs of 23-year-old composer Richard Rogers and 30-year-old lyricist Lorenz Hart. Rogers would later say that literally overnight, I was lifted from despair. Interestingly, 28-year-old Herbert Fields was the choreographer of this show. One song in particular became an instant smash, Manhattan. We'll have Manhattan the Bronx and Staten Island too It's lovely going through the This was the first of Rodgers and Hart's 26 Broadway musicals. It's very fancy on old Delancey Street, you know The subway charms us so When balmy breezes blow and fro and tell me what street compares with my all of them created during the silver age period sweet push carts gently glide the great big cities a wondrous toy just made for a girl and boy we'll turn We've looked closely at Larry Hart, now let's spend a few minutes focusing on Richard Rogers, who I would contend is the most significant individual in the history of the Broadway musical. He was born in New York in 1902 into a prosperous German-Jewish family. His father was a doctor. His parents loved music and theater, and during his childhood, Rogers received piano lessons and was taken to many musical shows and operas. He attended Columbia University, where he became the first freshman to write the score for the annual variety show, and where he met both Larry Hart and Oscar Hammerstein II. With these two partners, and a few others, in a career that would stretch from 1919 to 1979, he would create 43 Broadway musicals and more than 900 songs, many of which are the most performed, recorded, and beloved of all time. It's estimated that on every day of every year, somewhere in the world, there is a live performance of a Richard Rogers musical. Hi, this is David Armstrong, and even here in Seattle, warmer, sunnier days are on their way. So it's time to fuel up for them and meet your wellness goals with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Thanks to Factors' menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, Keto, or my favorite, Vegetarian, Factors' fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. So what are you waiting for? Kickstart that new healthy routine with 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week so you'll always have new flavors to explore. And you can crush those wellness goals with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make every day delicious from breakfast to dessert with restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. With no shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. 
With Factor, you enjoy effortless support for your lifestyle, choosing from six menu preferences that help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat, or simply eat well-balanced meals. Here's what you do. Head to factormeals.com BN50 and use code BN50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code BN50 at factormeals.com slash BN50, as in Broadway Nation 50, and you'll get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Do it today. Although No No Nanette didn't open on Broadway until the beginning of the 1925-26 season, by that time, this blockbuster show had already been running for a year in Chicago, where what was supposed to have been an out-of-town tryout for Broadway had become so successful that it just kept running. Two road companies were also already touring America, and a hit London production was already up and running. This mildly sexy farce was lyricist Irving Caesar's biggest hit. He was the son of Romanian Jewish immigrants, and he provided lyrics for dozens of Broadway musicals. The book was by Otto Harbach and Frank Mandel, and the score was by Vincent Eumanns. No, no, Nanette, that's all I hear. I get it the whole day through. No, no, Nanette, it's in my ear. Like Cole Porter, Humans is unusual in this world since he came from a very wealthy wasp family. But also like Porter, he was probably queer. However, if that was true, he left very little record of it. He had a reputation for being cold and distant. And he worked with many lyricists, but most of them only once. That makes me wonder if he was just very reluctant or very afraid to reveal his personal life to his colleagues. In spite of having to retire from songwriting when he was only 36 due to tuberculosis, during his short career he composed the scores to 12 Broadway musicals and many timeless hit songs, including one of the most performed songs of all time, T for Two. This song became a favorite of jazz musicians and singers, and there were hit recordings of it in every decade from the 1920s through the 1960s when it was reinvented as a cha-cha. An unexpected smash-hit Broadway revival of No No Nanette in 1974 would put that song and that show back into the cultural zeitgeist and spark the nostalgia craze of the 1970s. Toward the end of the decade, another of the most successful songwriting teams of the 1920s emerged, and they were a cultural melting pot unto themselves. They were the Portuguese, Russian Jewish, and German team of De Silva, Brown, and Henderson. The moon belongs to everyone. The best things in life are free. The stars all shine for everyone. They're shining for you. The plots and settings of their shows were ripped from the latest headlines and cultural fads of the day. Their most enduring hit, Good News, was set at fictional Tate College. Now prior to World War I, only the children of the very wealthy went to college, and they were overwhelmingly male. 
The 1920s brought a gigantic surge in college enrollment, and by the end of the decade, 20% of all college-aged people had matriculated. Today, it's around 65%. This included a significant number of women. By 1926, college life, and especially college football, had become national topics of interest, and Good News set out to capitalize on that. The setting provided a chance to put a stage full of young, attractive, horny college kids front and center. The lyric to the opening number sets the tone. Students are we of dear old Tate College, learning, learning, learning every day, filling our minds with jewels of knowledge, learning, learning, learning every day, learning how to sin, not how to think, how to mix our gin right in the sink. We spend our days in having romances, we spend our nights hoofing at dances. When we're through with college and our pennants have been furled, we'll be prepared to face the wide, wide world. Good News introduced the hit songs The Best Things in Life Are Free and The Varsity Drag. Here is the drag, see how it goes. Down on your heels, up on your toes. That's the way to do the varsity drag. Hotter than hot, newer than new, meaner than mean, bluer than blue. When your professor cries, everybody down on your heels, up on your toes, stay after school, learn how it goes, everybody do the varsity drag. This was the first of four consecutive hit to Silva, Brown, and Henderson musical comedies that epitomized what was fashionable and racy on Broadway in the late 1920s. All of them would run close to 400 performances, and each of them would feature a pop culture fad at its center. The plot of Hold Everything revolved around the sport of boxing. It made a star of Burt Lahr and introduced the song You're the Cream in My Coffee. Their next musical, Follow Through, was subtitled A Musical Slice of Country Club Life, and the story involved a women's golf tournament. This show made a star of dancer Eleanor Powell and introduced Button Up Your Overcoat. Since Charles Lindbergh and Amelia Earhart were front-page news in the late 1920s, it's not surprising that the Silva Brown and Henderson's final show would be set in the world of aviation and be titled Flying High. Buddy De Silva, Lou Brown, and Ray Henderson together and separately worked on scores of Broadway musical comedies and reviews and created dozens of classic hit songs. Button up your overcoat when the wind is free. Take good care of yourself, you belong to me. Eat an apple every day, get to bed by three. Take good care of yourself, you belong to me. From a
Just a bowl of cherries Don't make it serious Life's too mysterious You work, you save, and you worry so But you can take your dough When you go, go, go So keep repeating It's the berries The strongest dough must fall The sweet things in life To you were just loaned So how can you lose What you've never owned Life is just a bowl of cherries So live and laugh at it all For the moment, I'm going to skip over the 1927 musical Showboat It was in many ways the most significant show of the Silver Age, and I will discuss it in great detail in upcoming episodes. As you might imagine, the stock market crash of 1929 and the Great Depression that followed had a tremendously negative effect on Broadway. Ziegfeld was only one of the producers who went bankrupt. Many theaters closed their doors or became movie theaters in which you could now see Al Jolson for a quarter. During the 1927-28 season, 59 musicals opened on Broadway but by the 1932-33 season, there were only 29. Of course, it was not just the pool of investors that had shrunk, the audience had shrunk as well. Nearly one-third of all New Yorkers were unemployed, and at least 20,000 of them were theater workers. And, of course, as I record this, thousands of theater workers are out of work again. At this very moment, Broadway is completely shut down by the coronavirus epidemic, as is virtually every other kind of performing arts in America and around the world. How they will recover from this remains to be seen, but I feel confident they will. As you will see in the next episode, in spite of, or perhaps because of, the hardships and struggle of the Depression, the Broadway musical during the 1930s would enter an extraordinary period of artistic flourishing and continued development that included the emergence of several new, defining, and iconic masters of the musical theater. Keep on repeating, it's the berries. The strongest oak must fall. The sweet things in life to you were just loaned. So how can you lose what you've never owned? Broadway Nation is produced and written by me, David Armstrong. I want to thank everyone at KVSH 101.9 FM, the voice of beautiful Vashon Island, Washington, and especially everyone at the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work 
or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.